welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending November 12th, 2022. This week, it's magical times at Disney. And by magical, I mean, don't look too closely. I'm Kim Hollis, preparing for jury duty next week. Guilty! (laughs) Also, Tim Bridey, content creator and gamer, hoping to buy Twitter, probably at bargain basement price. I am prepared to make a cash offer of, uh, let me just check my pockets here, uh, uh, six, no, no, seven (laughs) dollars. Also, David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified, streaming media analyst, and someone who is high on cough syrup right now. Good luck editing this week's podcast, Raul. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, who's tooting all over the place. (laughs) Also, I've just discovered Mastodon. (laughs) See, I got the joke. Me too. (laughs) In our deep dive this week, Earnings season closed out with Disney announcing their fiscal results. While they beat estimates on streaming subscribers, bringing their total to more than 164 million, Wall Street still wasn't happy. David, can you give us a rundown of what was learned? I hate Wall Street. I just hate it, man. It doesn't make any sense. Disney earned 30 cents per share. Sounds pretty good. Had record profits for the fiscal year. That sounds great, doesn't it? For the quarter, they were up $1.5 billion more than the same amount in fiscal 2021. $15 billion overall for the year, they increased their profits. Disney had never been over $70 billion until this year, and now they're over $80 billion. Along the way, the company gained $12.1 million more Disney Plus subscribers, $4.8 million more than expected. And like Netflix before them a couple of quarters ago, man, they had their red wedding with the stock as it plummeted pretty much 12% in 10 minutes. Raul, what the hell? I think we have to own what we've been saying for a while now since since Netflix had their bad quarter earlier this year. Subscriber numbers aren't all that matters. Profit is important. Netflix was punished for losing subscribers, even though they continue to be profitable. In this case, Disney posted impressive subscriber growth, but didn't meet profit expectations. Now, this could be entirely laid at the feet of Wall Street, where their expectations may have been altogether too high. And I feel that's exactly the case. But May as- I rant? Please let me rant. Please. Yeah, let's talk direct-to-consumer, which increased its revenue by nearly $400 billion to $4.9 billion. That's going to come with an asterisk for the quarter, though, because the DTC expenses, Disney has been transparently shouting, will eventually make money, but not now. Those are starting to show up on the spreadsheet. So everyone's suddenly shocked to hear there's gambling happening in this establishment. You know, deal with Wall Street. Everything's great in theory, but then it's horrific when it actually impacts the immediate bottom line. We've reached that stage of the game with Disney. I am being kind of petty here just because I have so many issues with the way Wall Street works, but DTC had a savage write down this quarter. There's no hiding that. It lost nearly $1.5 billion. We're making fun of Peacock for this stuff all the time. Disney had that too. Disney lost about $500 million per month, a little less than that, but nearly $500 million per month during the quarter because Disney has said all along it's going to be bad in 2022. It's going to be bad at the start of 2023, and by fiscal 2024, Disney Plus should be making a profit. People heard this 
but they didn't think about it. So we've now reached a weird time, an inflection point where Disney is saying, we're probably going to hold off on subscriber growth in this upcoming fiscal quarter. And that is for a very strange reason. I got billed $87.59 this morning. The three-year plan that Disney offered to some of its preferred fans, it ended this morning. So people woke up to a bill of $79.99 plus tax. Because of that, some people are going to say, wait a minute, maybe Disney isn't worth this much to me. It was a great deal when it was, you know, three years for pocket change. Now at this much a month, I don't know. So that could slow it all down. But to a larger point, we've got a weird evaluation happening with Disney. And Raul, I think it's fair to say linear is in sharp decline while digital is losing money rather than making money. And as lazy as the thought is, analysts seem to get hung up on the fact that Disney earns more customers and every time it does, its losses increase. Yeah, I mean, I think you've covered it all. Disney has been saying all along that they are forsaking profitability for subscriber growth because in the long term, sometime around 2024, that subscriber growth is going to equal profit, but they need to get there. And they have seen the writing on the wall. They know that linear is dying, cable is dying, theatrical isn't where it should be. The only place that they could be making money is on their streaming platforms, and they need to be increasing increasing that subscriber growth. And to increase that subscriber growth right now, you need to forego some profitability. They're on their way, except Wall Street only cares about short term. No one can think about 2023, never mind 2024. But if we can just stay the course, like Netflix has proven time and again, the system works, the plan makes sense. Stay the course, you will get there. And then you're going to start turning these subscribers into billions of dollars of profit. They just need to stay the course. And that's the thing about it that's not going to get highlighted enough is that Disney's average revenue per user, the ARPU term we throw about, was 10 percent higher than this time a year ago. And on top of that, the price increases are coming next month, which means this fiscal quarter's ARPU will be higher than the end of the last one. And then two quarters from now, we'll have a significantly higher because it will have had the higher price the entire quarter. So everything is trending in the way Disney had indicated. And Disney has a belief that once it has a built-in fan base, it will then be able to continually gradually raise the price and control its entire process, just the way it always did with linear television. But we're now in the not quite there phase yet. And for that reason, people are ignoring some stuff and it just drives me insane. Disney earned $83.7 billion this fiscal year. $83.7 billion. It's the first time it's ever been over $69 billion. And Chappick, who for all of his many flaws, is as transparent a CEO as I've ever seen, legitimately. He comes out and says, we're going to have upper single digit growth. If you do the math on that, that means Disney's expecting to make 90 90- billion for fiscal 2023. That sounds amazing for a company that had never been over 70 billion until basically this past week. Wall Street, for some reason, had projected, and this is a real number, 113 billion, which is 44 billion more than Disney had ever made before this fiscal year, which makes me wonder what they're smoking and how much cough syrup they've had compared to me. Disney is getting punished for that. Disney is actually taking the stock beating 
albeit a temporary one. And that's where we're at. So because of this, Disney's had to reevaluate some things. They've quietly started a hiring freeze. They've done a modest amount of layoffs. I mean, it's not a large number yet, but they've kind of taken stock of where the stock market might be in 2023. And they're a little worried about that dreaded term that Kim hates, headwinds. So they've made some quiet, cautious moves just in case of it just like many other companies right now. But some Wall Street folks may have heard about something happening internally with Disney that I haven't yet. I have to allow for that possibility. I'm not arrogant enough to think that I know the situation better than other people. Maybe they're aware of a story that's going to break that hasn't yet. But my perception of Wall Street is just as a rule, they're panicky, short-sighted idiots. And that's what I call status quo for them. So that's why this entire thing to me, it's just like Netflix six months ago. I'm just looking around going, what the hell is wrong with people? Yeah. And just like Netflix six months ago, Disney makes all the right noises after Wall Street reacts. They say, okay, we're going to have a hiring freeze. We'll lay off some people. We'll reduce expenditures in a couple of places. This is just to placate. The plan is solid. They just need to carry on. Just to put a point on this and to explain just how nearsighted and myopic some of this reaction is, I'm going to draw an analogy here. And it comes from an article I was reading where an analyst was complaining how Disney's third-party distribution channels had been decimated by Disney essentially self-dealing, where they create movies and they create TV shows, and then they put them on Disney platforms, largely Disney+. Plus. That is intentional. Disney is no longer licensing out their content to other sources. So of course, those third-party distribution channels have been decimated. The analogy here goes back to something called the Big Red Ship, which was a small cruise line in, I think, the 80s and 90s that had licensed the Disney characters. So you can go sailing on this ship and you get to meet with Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. And then Disney stopped licensing Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck to the Big Red Ship, and they launched Disney Cruise line and they spent billions of dollars building up Disney Cruise Line. And now Disney Cruise Line is the envy of the cruise industry. They have obscene occupancy rates. And while other companies like Carnival and Norwegian are struggling to be profitable, Disney Cruise Line is a success. And to do that, they had to stop licensing their characters to somebody else's cruise line. That is the exact analogy here. Disney has to stop licensing their content out to other platforms, to Netflix, to what have you, and keep it in-house so that eventually their platforms like Disney Plus will become the destination to go and watch these Disney characters, these Disney properties, and in this analogy, Netflix is basically the big red ship. It's not going to be around much longer if everybody else, like Disney, like Paramount, holds on to their content themselves. Netflix is going to, as they've been doing, have to spend billions of dollars to create their own original content if they want to be able to stay afloat. This is the right strategy for Disney, and the Disney Cruise Line essentially proves the point. Meanwhile, Disney is continuing to make big moves in streaming. They're not slowing down. In a move that had long been anticipated, the BBC has licensed new episodes of Doctor Who to Disney Plus internationally everywhere except the UK and Ireland. That's really going to be impactful in places around the world like Australia, where Doctor Who was a mainstay on Australian broadcasting. Now you have to subscribe to Disney Plus to watch new episodes of Doctor Who. It's less of an impact in the US where new episodes of Doctor Who were showing 
following up on BBC America. This was a joint venture between the BBC and AMC Networks. It may indeed spell the end of BBC America, but AMC Networks has plenty of other good stuff going. It's certainly going to be a hit to their bottom line, but they'll be fine in the long term. And ESPN is making some smart moves as well. Apparently, they still had a stake in the X Games, if you can believe that. I'm surprised that ESPN hadn't gotten rid of that stake earlier, but they have sold it off. They've sold it off to an equity firm. And that really makes sense. It's like expecting the Cable Ace Awards to still be a thing. The X Games stopped being relevant when all the sports that appear at the X Games started showing up at the Olympics. ESPN should have dumped that before the last Olympics. I mean, the nice thing about the X Games is, you know, you get double the gold medals that way if you're an Olympic athlete and an X Games athlete. But I I agree with what you're saying here. We've had this conversation in the past that niche sports are kind of a growth industry. And that's the one way I'm a little surprised that Disney has done this. But the flip side is you're probably right that it had kind of reached the logical conclusion for this one particular thing, which is it's just entirely possible that X Games has lost its cachet because of Gen Z. And we can't have a conversation about Disney Plus this week without mentioning that there's rumblings now that they want to do an Indiana Jones series. There's nothing set in stone, but this is very much a duh moment. Of course, Disney owns Lucasfilm and they own Indiana Jones. It would be folly for them to not want to market that and capitalize off of that as much as possible. Is Harrison Ford going to show up in it? Probably not. But sure, of course, an Indiana Jones series on Disney Plus, that is a no-brainer. Like a younger Indiana Jones is what you're saying. Man, they should have done that years ago. Like show the chronicles of him? (laughs) Is that what they're going? Okay, just checking. This week in Warner Brothers Discovery News, board member John Malone repeated what we've been hearing for some time now. The company will be fine if they just make good stuff. (laughs) With an intellect like that, no wonder he's a billionaire. (laughs) Oh, that's the secret? Oh, okay. I'll be right back. I'm going to go make some good stuff. This has uh, been CEO David Zaslov's talking point for some time now, and it's no surprise that it's the marching orders he was given by John Malone. David said all along that Malone was pulling the strings. If only just make good stuff were easier. But on the upside here, as the leadership teams at Warner Bros. Discovery find their footing, we're starting to see them speak more confidently about their projects. James Gunn and Peter Safran just took over DC Studios, and they've held a town hall with employees, at least those that remain anyway. It was short on details, but really their willingness to engage with the employees is a promising sign. And Sarah Aubrey, who's in charge of HBO Max Originals, has been doing a press tour as well. She's talking about upcoming projects like a second season of the Sex and the City spinoff and just like that. And a uh, potential Harry Potter series, which is something that Zaslov's been teasing recently. Still, it feels like she's not the ultimate decision maker on these projects, as I doubt she had much say with all the recent projects that have been canceled at HBO Max. And the, uh, the Harry Potter thing makes about as much sense as an Indiana Jones project at Disney Plus, it would be idiotic to not leverage that franchise. Just like the Dune spinoff, The Sisterhood, and another spinoff teased by Aubrey, the series Welcome to Derry, based off the horror franchise It. If you have a popular franchise, why wouldn't you be milking it for all it's worth and spinning it off into some kind of series? Yeah, there's a running thing with Disney fans where they're just always, oh, Disney's too reliant on intellectual property. They need to be doing new things. What we realize, there's extreme data to 
to support is that people want new stories based on familiar settings. And that's what HBO Max is kind of promising at this point. And I also just want to throw out the fact that uh, as a long-suffering Atlanta Braves fan, I'm just glad the rest of the world has finally realized how much of an incompetent jackass uh, that Malone is because he's been running my team into the ground for more than a decade now, and we won a World Series in spite of him rather than because of him. Screw that guy. We have a lot of rapid fire stories today, so let's hit them quickly, starting with the CW. The new owners of the CW have acknowledged what we've been saying for a while now, which is that they'll be dumping WBD and Paramount content going forward. They haven't ruled out running Warner Bros. Discovery and Paramount programming, but they'll be treated like any other seller from now on. At this point, pretty much every show from Warner Bros. Discovery and Paramount has been canceled on the CW. Even long-running shows like Riverdale and The Flash have been canceled or are completing their runs. The CW is essentially starting from scratch at this point, and we don't know what their programming schedule is going to look like next year. And I think it's going to be the Andy Griffith Show and (laughs) the Three Stooges and MASH. Maybe some other things. Cheap Police Hijinks, part one. Oh, that too, yes. At AMC Theaters, their CEO says that a lack of new movies and not streaming or COVID is what's hurting the theater chain. Isn't that a bit like saying it wasn't the bullet that killed me? It was the damaged organs and the loss of blood? The reason there's a lack of movies is streaming and COVID. This might be a less useful quote than the John Malone one. Honest to God. (laughs) Look, AMC Theaters is trying to diversify their content. As they've announced, they'll be turning movie theaters into Zoom rooms. And while I've advocated that AMC Theaters should be diversifying, I don't know that this is actually one project that's going to work. I don't I'm sorry, know. did you say Zoom room? Is that like a superhero thing? <laughs> that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Is that like mall walking in a movie theater? What is a Zoom room? There is a case to be made for wanting to get together a bunch of people in a single room to participate in a Zoom meeting. The problem is that these rooms are large. They're going to accommodate dozens, if not hundreds of people. And if you've got a company with dozens or hundreds of people, you probably have a venue in which to accommodate that many people. You don't necessarily have to go to your local AMC to do that unless, say, you're the chief executive at Facebook or Twitter and you want to fire all your remote workers and so you've sent them all to whatever local local theater they have so that they can hear the announcement personally. Well, now you've just described a kill box. Are you sure that's not what you made instead? (laughs) The biggest problem with doing something like this, honestly, is I feel that the poor high school kid that is ushering people into this room is going to have to be called upon to explain why it is that you can't hear the other people in the Zoom or the microphones aren't working or why the camera isn't turning on. And that's not the person you want to be doing your Zoom tech support. I'm now picturing like an usher whose only job is to say, you're on mute, you're on mute. (laughs) And you can't actually hear Kim laughing because she's on mute. (laughs) I was on mute, but I was laughing. At Netflix, the Wall Street Journal reported that the streamer had been bidding for live streaming rights for a number of sporting events around the world. You know, my initial reaction to this was confusion. Certainly after their bad quarter earlier this year, Netflix made it clear that nothing was off the table anymore. So ads? 
Netflix is doing that. And live streaming, I guess Netflix is doing that too. The confusion stems from the fact that structurally speaking, live streaming is very different than on-demand streaming. Among other things, these relay hubs that Netflix has at ISPs around the world, they're configured for on-demand streaming content. It takes a whole different kind of infrastructure to do live streaming. It would be foolhardy for Netflix to dive right into live streaming of some sporting event without trying some small scale one off event first. And that's where our second Netflix story comes in, as apparently Netflix will be live streaming a Chris Rock comedy special early in 2023. I have no doubt that this is a trial balloon by Netflix to test their live streaming infrastructure before they commit to streaming some sporting league. Because if it fails, all you would have is Chris Rock upset with you instead of an entire sporting league that committed billions of dollars to your infrastructure. And really, I think you'd rather have Chris Rock unhappy with you than an entire sporting league. Signed, Will Smith. But uh, seriously, the other part of this story that we should acknowledge is that Netflix apparently made some inquiries about getting the rights to the World Tennis Association. And specifically, they wanted the rights to some European events. And just the goal of that was, like Raul said, to dip their feet in the water and see, hey, how expensive is this for us? And is there enough interest from people? Can we actually handle the demands of this? And it's something we discussed when Disney committed to doing Dancing with the Stars on Disney Plus, which to their credit, they've done without any type of major criticism about the technical side of it, which, as we know, is the most pressing point, even though it's the part that everybody takes for granted. And finally, Comcast and Charter have a new name for their joint venture, calling it Zumo. But that that's already the thing. I couldn't tell you what it was, but I know that name exists <laughs> to describe something. So what the heck? <laughs> Yeah, I guess we need to have the Zumo talk now. I swear that before this news was reported, I was the only person on earth who knew what Zumo was, and that includes the people who worked at Zumo. (laughs) (laughs) Because you see, yes, as Tim pointed out, Zumo already exists. It's a free ad-supported streaming service or a fast service that Comcast bought from Viant, the company that owns MySpace. That's right. In addition to Peacock, Comcast owns another streaming service, and they've owned it for a few years. They could have positioned it as their ad-supported alternative to Peacock, a lot like Paramount has Paramount Plus and the increasingly relevant and successful Pluto TV, but instead they let it languish. The last time I visited the Zumo website, it wouldn't even load. Now, (laughs) yep. Now, uh, the Comcast and Charter joint venture is going to be called Zumo. The streaming service will continue to exist while Comcast's set-top hardware will lose the Flex name and adopt the Zumo name. It could work. I've said all along, with their massive installed base, Comcast and Charter could be a competitor to Roku or even Amazon's Fire TV and Google's Google TV, but they either don't want to get out there and present themselves as that alternative, or they have done a very poor job of trying. The truth is that there are millions of installed Flex set-top box users out there who are about to become Zumo users with access to the streaming versions of either Comcast or Charter, Cable Grids, and the Zumo streaming service and all the fast channels that gives them. They could come out of nowhere and muscle a couple of the competitors entirely out of the market, but I don't know if they really have the wherewithal to do it. All right. Well, before we talk about the ratings, we definitely need to cover the box office. Wakanda forever! 
Yes, I just reflexively did the the pose when you when you said that, but it's an it's an audio medium. So, uh, but yeah, here's Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. We have a Friday number of eighty four million dollars. Seems like a good time to mention that the original Black Panther made seventy five point nine million. So yes, so that's so, so that that is up from the original Black Panther. I guess I mean circumstances are very different than you know four yes. years ago, but I mean considering the first one did finish with seven hundred million dollars, you were kind of maybe hoping for a bigger Friday because um, it's not going to reach the two hundred million that the original did, did it? I mean, I never thought that was a play. I'll but be that's with- that's a symptom of the changing in viewership and box office habits. But thanks the pandemic really rather than anything else yeah and and partly just this was a a hard movie with the loss of chadwick boseman Mm -hmm. he was black panther and a lot of people they took it hard and i'm gonna just say already that the film is sad and is very much in tribute to him and that might not be something people are necessarily ready for right now it is very much a Black Panther movie being sold without Black Panther, which is why I wasn't entirely certain from the early ticket sales that I'd seen and the tracking data I'd seen that it would make $150 million this weekend. So I think that based on the information I had, Disney and Marvel should be ecstatic. That's obviously not the way certain people are going to paint this story for obvious reasons. But uh, Tim, if I mean, if it makes $170, $175 million this weekend or more, which is apparently a possibility, don't you think they should be satisfied with that? Yes, absolutely. Take the win. Make it seem like everything's great. I mean, I I started my movie review with Marvel invites you to the funeral of Chadwick Boseman. That's exactly what this movie is. Yeah, which makes me curious if how well it's going to hold up because not only did Black Panther just explode out of the gate with 200 million, it, it had legs, which is not supposed to happen with a movie that opens to 200 million. So I, I wonder if, if that, I mean, did you get an A cinema score? So people are seeing it, they obviously like it, but it's, it, it does just have a very weird vibe because yeah, you know, okay, Black Panther was was great. Chadwick Boseman was excellent in it. He is no longer with us. And they, they basically have to write that into the movie. And that's just very weird. So, but yeah, no, people are going to point out, oh, well, it didn't open as well as the first Black Panther did, but doesn't matter. It's an entirely different world now in box office. Take the win. All right. Well, is there anything interesting to talk about in the ratings? Yes, but not where you think. We have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, October 10th to Sunday, October 16th, 2022. And we mentioned it briefly a couple weeks ago when we had the Jeffrey Dahmer explosion in the ratings uh, as to the show that would eventually replace it. And so, yeah, just a couple weeks later, uh, here is The Watcher. It is your most watched thing of the week by far. 2.3 billion minutes for seven episodes for something that arrived uh, on the 13th. So just a, just I have a three heard days. so little about this, but right, yeah, other than a few people saying that didn't like it much, but yeah, truly, almost nothing. Yeah, this this right now is Ryan Murphy's world, and we're all just streaming it because this is also from his from his mind, really. Yeah, <laughs> well, good, for, yeah. good for someone who used to work for the same place that I work for. <laughs> It's hilarious to me. If we had discussed Ryan Murphy's nine-figure Netflix deal three months ago, 
and we might have, we would have scoffed and said it was an absolute financial sinkhole for Netflix. And that would have been 100% based in fact. And now all of the sudden, this entire picture has reversed where, you know, momentum is tomorrow's starter. Now he's the hottest thing going at Netflix by far. Yeah, this is this is amazing. I, I don't remember if we talked about it or not, but if we did, we probably would have like compared it to say, why not give that kind of money to Shonda Rhimes? You know, she's had success with, with Netflix. Why would they, they go in this direction? But yeah, between the ridiculous ratings for the Dahmer series and for for this, which you know, this is a show starring you know, Naomi Watts, Bobby Cannavale, it's already been actually renewed for a second season. So yeah, this is he is providing all sorts of value for for Netflix right now. I feel the biggest problem with The Watcher is that certainly given that it's based on a true story, the true story itself isn't all that spectacular. It comes out of, I think it was a New Yorker article about a family that moved into a house and they received a series of threatening and creepy letters. And that is the sum total of the story that I think that's what people who have watched the miniseries are uh, upset about. It's like there is no ultimate conclusion here. Uh, There's no closure. I don't think that they ever really found who was sending these letters. It was just some crank who probably wanted to drive down property values or something. And the fact that they have renewed this for a second season is all the more absurd. There is no more story now. They're going full into the fictional aspects of all this at this point. Yeah, it wasn't particularly well reviewed. Not that that's ever stopped anything from succeeding on on Netflix, but yeah, just just the overall size of the success of this is really the, what's what's the story here. Because I don't think we definitely saw that coming when we talked about it on what's new for that week. We knew it would probably do all right, but not this well. Uh, second is Lord of the Rings: Rings of Power. It's eight episode season now complete, one point one billion minutes. Where does it go from here, guys? I would say just steady fall off. Yeah, I'm sure there was a binge effect with the, the season mm-hmm. now complete. Maybe we see a little of that next week with a you know, lower number. And then, yeah, I can see it sliding down the list and then uh, returning in the hype for the new season. Mm-hmm. And, and then whenever whenever we do get that, I don't even know if they've started making it yet. But yeah, when, uh, that will definitely you know bring it back to to the list once as that definitely adds more more episodes and people definitely dug it if they if they watched it. In third is yeah Dahmer, yeah the, mm-hmm. you know the Jeffrey Dahmer thing. One point one billion minutes for its ten episodes. Uh, important uh, news this week, actually. The full title here is Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. And what Netflix has done is they've given Ryan Murphy basically another series because this will now be turned into a anthology series under the monster title, focusing on monster. other other yeah monsters because you know there's there's a whole bunch of those. So as we know from watching, yeah, it's on all the streamers. Yeah, uh, expect more more of this. I mean, they probably can't be as sensational as to the level of this one, but. You know, Netflix saw the numbers and decided, yeah, go ahead and make make more of these. Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy must be stopped. <laughs> Please. <laughs> the the problem with these true crime stories is that they're capitalizing off the suffering of people who may well still be alive. A lot of the victims in these stories, their families are still around, and they now have to realize that millions of people are watching stories about the death of their loved ones. This is terrible. Oh yeah, when when this came out, there were they brought up basically here is Netflix ripping open 30 year old wounds. Now here you have just the entire series on it and just almost obsession with it. And that's just terrible for people who were related to victims. Uh, fourth is the Midnight Club. So that last week, 867 million minutes viewed for the 10 episode season. Again, probably benefiting good. from being October, but yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've actually heard good things. I've heard good things about all his series. Yeah. Flanagan just is good at this. 
Fifth is She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. It's nine episode season now complete, 526 million minutes. Yay. Yay. Keep in mind, that's only, it's only like a half hour show. Yeah, they were all really short. Yes. And and as I mentioned last week, I, your mileage may vary, but I I really enjoyed the, how ridiculous they went with the final episode. They, they turned the whole formula on its, on its head. And and I uh, loved every moment of it. So I know some people who didn't, but it it worked for me. Uh, I, Imagine it'll slide off from here, which is usually what happens with the Disney Plus shows when they end the run. We get a binge effect and then they they disappear. Uh, the Great British Baking Show is in six, 478 million minutes for its 80 total episodes. Again, these show up on Netflix right after they air in the UK. Also from Disney Plus, Andor in seventh, up to six episodes, 405 million minutes. So hanging in there, doing pretty well. The latest episode, people seem to... Yes. Static about. Yeah, seems to be really picking up speed the last few episodes. Uh, eighth is The Handmaid's Tale from Hulu, 403 million minutes for 52 total episodes. Again, adding one one a week uh, for the next few weeks. So we'll we'll hold on for a little bit. Ninth is this stupid Jeffrey Dahmer tapes thing we saw last week. The three episode docuseries, 365 million minutes, just capitalizing on the popularity of the other series. And 10th, probably for the last time, Cobra Kai, 50 episodes, 342 million minutes. Okay, so we've discussed all the surprises this week, right? Uh, yes. Back to you, Kim. Uh, no. Uh, so let's look at movies where your top movie, I mean, it's, we're not surprised that it would be here, but this has never happened before because your number one movie for the week is Halloween Ends, 717 million minutes. Guys, this is on Peacock. What? So we have Peacock in the ratings. I repeat, we have Peacock in the Nielsen ratings. Whoa. But what congratulations, people. What is told, happening? I am told that you can't have day and date things work yes. very well. Right. You can't right. They they will they will never succeed. In fact, it was the number it was only the number one movie for you know for for that weekend, you know, making you know 40 million bucks and apparently succeeded on streaming. What is going on? What is this world coming to? There are a lot of people who will spend the next several months pretending this never happened. <laughs> Indeed. It admittedly it did fall hard in the box office in the second weekend, you know, from 40 million to to 8 million, so an 80% weekend decline. Because it's not any good, and not they just good. did the yeah. same thing last year. Right. Yeah, yes. it was always going to fall regardless yeah. of right, right. That's the yeah. date release. Exactly, yeah, that doesn't really have anything to do with it. The fact that, yeah, it's Halloween ends, and this time we mean it coming next year. We watched the uh, the 2021 one that weekend. We still haven't watched this one, and we haven't even talked about it. Yeah, I heard the last one, Halloween Kills, was actually not bad, but this one, eh, not so much, right? The ending to Halloween Kills offended me so much, it would be hard for me to go back to the Halloween franchise. <laughs> no joke. Well, ho- hopefully this is finally the, the end of it until a few years when someone decides to, to reboot it, and hopefully they don't get a, you know, then in her 70s, Jamie Lee Curtis, because she's probably done with it. But you never know. They could always, there's always a money track for someone somewhere. So no surprise then that Peacock chose this week to be the one where they agreed to finally start showing up on the Nielsen ratings, because I assume that there needs to be some kind of consent from the streaming service before Nielsen will start showing them on the charts. You have to go back to May 30th of this year where HBO Max started showing up on the Nielsen charts. Mm-hmm. And that was because that's when Fantastic Beasts 3 
yes. premiered on streaming at 758 million minutes. Or even if you go back to see when Apple TV Plus started showing up on Nielsen charts, and that was in September of 2021. And what was on then, that was Ted Lasso with 509 million minutes. If a streaming service is going to agree to start having their, uh, their shows appear on the ratings, it's probably at a time when they can come out with a show of force and really coming in at number one with uh, with movies and essentially proving that day and date releases work. 717 million minutes viewed for a movie that was on streaming and also in theaters at the same time. I think Peacock, if they were going to show up on this chart, this was the time for them to do it and they did it right. Yeah, they obviously were very happy with this performance. I'm also amazed that Peacock is on enough televisions to actually <laughs> make these make these Nielsen ratings. Good point. So, hmm, yes, get your get your tinfoil hats out. But your top movie, just like it was that first week we got those HBO Max ratings, is from Peacock. I am legit curious what happened next week because, as we mentioned, it collapsed at the box office. But will it hold better in streaming because we're getting into later October? Maybe. I guess we'll we'll find out next week. It's not going to jump, but it's going to still be, you know, probably, you know, I could still see it in the, in the, in the top half of the chart. Uh, second, Luckiest Girl Alive. We saw that last week, 696 million minutes. Uh, something else new in third, The Curse of Bridge Hollow. This is from also from Netflix, 544 million minutes. This is a comedy horror film. Debuted October October 14th, uh, starring Marlon Wayans and an assorted cast of characters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah basically this year's she'll be Halloween. Well, okay. Right. Uh, Hocus Pocus 2 from uh, Disney Plus in fourth, 522 million minutes. So holding on, not you know the heights of its premiere, but still doing better. I, I was still expecting the first one to surpass it by the end of the month, and we're running out of time for that. That one is still here in ninth, 243 million minutes. So I guess people are opting for the, the shinier one instead of the, instead of the original, but mm, still time, to, still, still time to, to, for the people to watch that one as they, we get closer to Halloween. Uh, Mr. Harrigan's Foam, we also saw that last week, a Stephen King adaptation, 301 million minutes in fifth. Blackout, 264 million minutes. Nielsen, for some reason, claims this is from 2018, but actually, this is actually a 2022 movie. I did find find it. I think actually we talked about it. It is uh, Josh Duhamel. Yeah, well, I guess we did talk about it, but geez, it, what an innocuous title. Yeah, I'm so I'm not surprised. If, I'm sure there was a 2018 movie called Blackout that they're conflating it with, but no, it's it's definitely a new movie from from this year. I checked on Netflix's top ten, and uh, yeah, it was there for that week. Uh, Last seen alive in seventh, 249 million minutes. Eighth, credited to Netflix and Peacock in terms of like you know 99 to one percent. Megamind, 247 million minutes. Peacock That's- dominant. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not a new movie. This is the 2010 animated movie with you know Will Ferrell, Tina Fey uh, doing doing some voices. It did not just re- recently return to Netflix, so you, you got me as to why it's here. But the power of Peacock, pay attention. Uh, obviously, yes. Now yeah. with the addition of Peacock, here it is. I, I don't know that we can rule out the fact that maybe some extra viewership on Peacock boosted this movie. But I think this speaks to anyone who might have been speculating that, oh yeah, Peacock has been metered all along. It just never did well enough to chart. I think we've seen a number of these split distribution movies and shows uh, that have appeared on, say, Netflix and Peacock or Hulu and Peacock, and they were never listed as Netflix slash Peacock as this one is. And so if uh, Peacock had actually been charting the whole time, it just didn't have the numbers to show it, we would have seen that before and we haven't seen that until today. Yeah, I have questions about that because if Peacock's been here all along, there should be something that we should have been been seeing on the acquired chart, but 
We'll more on that in a moment. Uh, as I mentioned, Disney uh, Plus's Hocus Pocus is 9th, 243 million minutes. And movies wraps up with Sing 2 from Netflix in 10th, 227 million minutes. Acquired is, I'll call it nine shows we've seen before, led once again by House of the Dragon, 960 million minutes for nine episodes. So one more to go. Mm, shouldn't there be a Peacock show on this chart, Tim? <laughs> That's what I said like almost two years ago. <laughs> What was the most watched acquired show when we started doing this rating segment that disappeared at the end of 2020? Where the hell is the office, Tim? Yes, exactly. Because did you know the office is on Peacock? No. <laughs> yes, that's that's why I suddenly the, the the sudden appearance of movies on the on the chart credited to Peacock, and not just one, two of all things. Mm. Uh, but but no office. Even even in tenth, 421 million minutes is your tenth acquired show this week. That would be Game of Thrones from HBO Max. Uh but where is the office? So that's, I, mm-hmm. I have questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that, that bothered me when, when we, we first, we freaked out that, oh my God, Peacock, Halloween ends is on the list. We have Peacock shows. And then I immediately went to acquired and said, there's the office isn't here. So what gives? <laughs> but again, I, maybe we can attribute it to how it's viewed. You know, it, it is it is the limitation of these Nielsen ratings. It is televisions only, not second screen, which is probably where the office is watched more often. I will grant you that. But it still bugs me that it's not here. Uh, I said nine shows we've seen before. The one new show is The Sinner in seventh from Netflix, 464 million minutes viewed for 31 episodes. Uh, the fourth season of the show actually arrived on Netflix on the 13th of October. This is, uh, what, what, uh, this is on USA, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, this is the uh, crime drama with uh, Bill Pullman as a, I guess, a small town sheriff. Each season is a different case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it, it actually ended in December of last year. So the final season finally made its way onto onto Netflix and apparently was more popular than, than we thought. Uh, the other number I actually want to point out is uh, The Blacklist is actually right behind House of the Dragon in second, 906 million minutes for 196 episodes. And that's because the ninth season of that show also just arrived on Netflix. So that got a bump from from that. And that's that's got a significant number of episodes for a show that's been on for quite a while now. But yeah, we we have Peacock numbers at least for a week. I'm sure we'll see Halloween ends again next next week. I, I doubt we will see anything else from them on the charts because, I mean, we really didn't see too much other content. I expected more HBO Max movies. I mean, we we did see, you know, Fantastic Beasts when we first got the numbers. We did get, you know, Elvis a couple weeks ago. We have their clearly most popular shows in in Friends and then Game of Thrones is spilling over to House of the Dragon. I did expect more from them. We've only ever seen Ted Lasso from Apple TV Plus. So I am curious whether it is just that some of the streamers are saying, no, you, you can give, we'll give you this number because it's good, but we won't give you the other numbers because they're not as good. So I, there is, I'm sure there's some some interesting stuff going on in terms of how how much of this information actually gets out. Because we know they have the, the data, but obviously it's just you know not being released publicly. Your move, Paramount Plus. Yeah. Give us Paramount Plus and then we'll have them all. I have no idea what we, what we would see on there. Well, maybe maybe Criminal Minds because that was definitely one of the more popular Netflix shows before it disappeared from uh, from the list when it left Netflix. And all those Star Trek shows. Oh yeah, the Star Trek Network. All right, thanks, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week at Netflix, we mentioned the monster in the Watcher news earlier. Meanwhile, interior news, the Epic Games video game franchise, Gears of War, is getting a movie on Netflix followed by an animated series. That's right. The better news is that there is a movie about a dystopian future where aliens have invaded the Earth. (laughs) Yet another video game adaptation that feels like it's 10 years too late. 
Yeah. Yeah. Where's my Destiny animated series? That's what I want to know. Eyes up, Guardians. Ten, Ten years, years later. later. Ten years later, yeah. yeah. Netflix is also diving deeper into gaming with a Stranger Things VR game coming in late 2023. Yeah, that just means they watch the new Mythic Quest episodes. <laughs> if VR is even still a thing in 2023. Yeah. But true to form for Netflix, you'll be playing as the villain Vecna in the Upside Down. Oh, sure. Netflix isn't playing around and they're not afraid to cancel projects that don't deliver. The legal drama Partner Track and the Kids with Powers series, The Imperfects, have both been canceled after their first season. The uh, Partner Track news really stuns me because that was well received and it filled a niche that is woefully underserved. So there's going to be splashback on this one. Netflix was happy enough with their German language series, The Empress, to give it a second season renewal. Yeah, as I pointed out previously, this is based on the true story of Austrian Empress Elizabeth. So it's somewhat similar to the Netflix series, The Crown, or maybe the PBS Masterpiece series, Victoria. At Prime Video, the Orlando Bloom and Cara Delevingne fantasy series Carnival Row, whose first series premiered in 2020, will end after its second season set to premiere in February of 2023. They didn't quite strike while the iron was hot on this one. Mm -hmm. It had a couple of big stars in the lead, and it felt like a great concept it's kind of like fantasy fairies and elves in a victorian world premise but it just never really caught on and it's taking them three years to uh, get to season two i think anyone who did watch season one should count their lucky stars that they're getting a second season but that's all they're getting yeah i would tend to agree with that although the idea does seem like super awesome to me peacock is not willing to let netflix get all the serial killers as the streamer is also turning their one-off limited series, Dr. Death, into a franchise. In season two, they'll explore another true-life medical mystery about a doctor whose medical malpractice caused people their lives. Oh, good for you, Peacock. Yeah, way, way to go. Is it Christmas movie season yet? Come on! Mm. Hang on, hang on. We'll get there, but, you know, not in green lights and cancellations, probably. There is good news at Peacock as six seasons and a movie has finally become a reality. The NBC comedy Community, which had five seasons on the network and whose sixth season aired on the short-lived streaming service Yahoo Stream, remember that, has been greenlit for a movie on Peacock. And this finally makes Kim understand the other day when I looked at her and I said, well, they did six seasons and here's the movie. (laughs) (laughs) You gave me such a baffled look at that. I did. I did. (laughs) I got my first Roku just so I could install the Yahoo Stream app. That was a real thing that existed. (laughs) I think it is still on my TiVo, honest to God. (laughs) Donald Glover and Yvette Nicole Brown have not yet been confirmed for the movie, which is really disappointing, but maybe it's just that their contracts haven't been signed. On the other hand, Chevy Chase, I think we've seen the last of him and I'm fine with that. They probably are, too. I'd kind of be surprised if Donald Glover came back because he was not in the last season. Yeah, my understanding is he won't be a part of it. However, they are expecting Yvette Nicole Brown back, probably. Mm -hmm. Having said that, you know, I don't want to do spoilers for a movie I just watched, but I expect a Donald Glover cameo just because he's still tight with the cast. Yeah, I could see it. Okay. 
as always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy this past week. And MythiQuest came back yesterday, and I'm so happy. It's one of my favorite current shows. We have not watched all three episodes yet, but we did watch the first two episodes, and I am very happy with them. I just love Rob McElhenney. He just has the sense of humor that resonates well with me, and (laughs) David pointed out last night that perhaps he's Poppy and I'm Ian, so yikes. Anyways, love the show. Happy for season three. Looking forward to season four as well. Raul, how about you? So I'm going to tell you about Luck on Apple TV+. Plus. I really wanted to like this movie from Skydance Animation. It definitely had a Disney look and feel to it. The screenwriters have a great pedigree, including Cars, Ryan the Last Dragon, and Kung Fu Panda. And the supporting cast includes Simon Pegg, Jane Fonda, Lil Rel, and Whoopi Goldberg. Unfortunately, the story is a mess. The plot revolves around Sam, an orphan who's aged out of her group home. She's had terrible luck all her life, and now she's moving out on her her own, but she's still got an attachment to one of the little girls in the orphanage and wants to make sure she gets adopted. When Sam runs across a black cat voiced by Simon Pegg, she follows him into the land of luck, where her bad luck may end up ruining everything. The problem is that the story doesn't exactly have an antagonist or even a point. The narrative waffles from there needs to be a balance between good luck and bad luck to wouldn't it be great if everyone had good luck to the world shouldn't depend on luck and it would be better if there was no such thing as good luck or bad luck for anyone. Even as the story wraps up, it's unclear just which way they actually went. The climatic scene is just a jumbled mishmash that doesn't make sense. And it all left me feeling flat and indifferent. I don't know if I can call it a missed opportunity. It feels like the story is flawed at its core and that this talent ended up being totally wasted. This movie shouldn't have happened and I do not recommend it. Yeah, that lines up with what I've read about it. Tim, what's been keeping you busy? Uh, And things that will make you guys very happy because I can only talk about it one more time. Uh, Last night was the 12th of 13 episodes in the new season of Mystery Science Theater 2000 premiered. And it was a movie called The Bubble from 1966. Uh, oh my God, it was bad. Oh God. Uh, it was it was actually the, uh, the second episode hosted by Joel as part of the Kickstarter uh, goal that he he set. So uh, it was good to, to see him again. And he had hyped this movie up as like the new Manos. And yeah, I, I wouldn't call it that bad, though at this point I've seen Manos the Hands of Fate enough times where I just kind of have like an affection for it. But this movie was, oh my God, it was it was not good. Uh, but the jokes were, were very funny. The segments were, were good and they did set up the final episode which will be a premiering in about a month called The Christmas Dragon, which will feature all three hosts, you know, Joel, Jonah, and, and Emily in the theater that, uh, themselves. They set up a plot to escape the clutches of the evil King of Forrester, played by Felicia Day. Uh, so I am very excited for that uh, episode to see all three of them riffing away at, a, at a, a Christmas movie just in time for the holidays. But yeah, uh, the bubble was, oh my God, that was that was bad. They did also announce that for the annual Turkey Day marathon, which is always a thing for Mystery Science Theater 3000 fans, they are putting the marathon on the Gizmoplex for free and there are other places that it streams as well and they will include two of the episodes from this season so if you don't have a subscription because you didn't sign up for it or or have a pass because you signed up in the Kickstarter uh, you'll still be able to watch those for free they're going to leave it up for the entire Thanksgiving weekend on demand after it airs. So if you have a chance, you can watch that and you can catch two of the newer episodes. So that's a fun a fun thing that I'm looking forward to people probably getting to check out. Awesome, Tim. And David, 
Well, I was a little confused by what Kim did. I guess I shouldn't be, but I thought we would talk about Wakanda forever, which was... I figured I'd leave it for you and then I'd chime in. An out-of-body experience for me in that it was a lovely movie. And if it had been the first Black Panther movie, I think people would have fallen in love with Wakanda 85% as much as they did anyway. It, it is the highest quality film. There are three or four you know, minor complaints I have with it, but... It's a very, very good movie, and I was wildly uncomfortable the whole time because I just couldn't get past the fact that, I, I mean, I should preface this by saying I was very, very early on the Chadwick Boseman bandwagon. I was watching him in the movies before the overwhelming majority of society had any idea who he was, and I was always captivated. I mean, I always thought, wow, there's radiant light shining down on this guy. And I didn't want to watch a Black Panther movie without him. And then there's other aspects that come into play where I know about all of the behind the scenes trauma during that production. And some of the decisions they made, I kind of wish they hadn't. But boy, did they ever cheat at the end. The ending of Wakanda Forever is the biggest cheat imaginable. And that's why everyone leaves that movie feeling better about themselves. But as far as the viewing experience, I was deeply conflicted. Kim, how about you? Yeah, it was just very somber to watch that movie. I overall, I would say I enjoyed it and thought it was a good film. The, I suppose you would call the person the villain of the film, is inconsistent with motivations that don't necessarily make sense to me, especially when you put that person in conflict with Wakanda. But there were a few really nice surprises that I really enjoyed. And overall, good film. I do recommend it. It's beautiful. It gets bogged down a little bit in the middle, but overall good. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 